Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and today my guest is Gersal Aliki. Gersal is a Senior Professor and Executive Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Information Scientist at the University of Wollongong. Gersal, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here. So let's just get the pronunciation of your name correct now, because we had a chat about it and there are different variations. Did I get it right? Gursel? My first name is Gursel. Gursel. Okay. Gursel. <laughs> and my surname is Alija. Alija. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyone listening to this, they, they're going to be used to people giving it a slight uh, different twang. And uh, I mean, people uh, pronounce my first name and second name as Gursel Alisi. Yeah. Which is fine, and they may hear this one, they can recognize me rather than hearing my original pronunciation. That is the main thing. So thank you so much for making time. I know you're really busy. Your, your journey has been very interesting. You got a PhD from the University of Oxford. Tell us how on earth you ended up in Wollongong. Uh, thank you, Vicky. Yes, it's a very interesting one. Um, after I completed my PhD, I returned to my home country of Turkey in 1994, and I worked there for seven and a half years. And during this time, I met with a professor from Monash University at a conference, and we started talking about collaboration on robotics, robot force control. That was the topic of my PhD. And there was an opportunity in 2001 at Monash, a one-year postdoctoral research fellow position. And uh, so I took that opportunity and I came to Australia for one year on a one-year postdoctoral research fellow position. And that was a big risk when I look back. And, uh, but it was a, a very good risk. It worked out well. And so I, in a way, I stepped down to, to come in and work here in Australia. And that lasted two and a half years. And after two and a half years, there was a job opening at University of Wollongong Senior Lecture in Mechatronic Engineering. When I looked at uh, the selection criteria and they matched my areas of expertise and I applied and I joined University of Wollongong in April 2004. And since then I'm here. And so I was in charge of mechatronics program for seven and a half years and then head of a large engineering school called School of Mechanical Materials, Mechatronic and Biomedical Engineering for 10 and a half years. And since September 2021, I'm the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Information Sciences. So it has been 18 years at Wollongong. Well, congratulations. And it just seems like a natural evolution for you to become the Dean. You've mentioned that you uh, previously were looking after biomedical engineering. What is that and how is it used? Thank you, Vicky. Yes, biomedical engineering is one of those uh, multidisciplinary engineering programs using engineering concepts and technologies to solve uh, challenges in health, designing, developing tools, devices, technologies, support system, maintaining devices. As the technology progresses, uh, there are many more opportunities to translate this technology into use of health to increase the quality of health, to help surgeons, to help uh, health practitioners, to deliver better research outcome, better uh, 
outcomes for the community. So in a way, biomedical engineering is the evolution of engineering disciplines. You can see mechanical engineering, you can see electrical engineering, you can see materials engineering, you can see computer engineering, you can see data analytics, you can see lots of engineering programs and, and how they can be translated into to solve some challenging health problems, especially in the area of devices and technologies. Especially yeah. when the population is aging, you need more support uh, to get better health outcomes. So in that sense, biomedical engineering is the natural extension of those engineering programs to deliver much expected outcomes and support. A friend of mine um, has just had a, a kidney removed in Melbourne by, by the Da Vinci robot. I think from I think we've probably got about 85 to 90 Da Vinci robots across Australia now. That's right. I mean, robotics and mechatronics are at the center of biomedical engineering. And that's why uh, I'm interested in that area. And when I was the head of school, I, I led the, the efforts to establish the biomedical engineering program at the University of Wollongong in 2017, based on our strengths and research expertise in robotics and mechatronics and its application to assistive devices, rehabilitation devices, such as prosthetics, orthotics, and similar. So robotics is at the center of biomedical engineering to deliver those technologies, those outcomes. I think the general or the average person, when you talk to them about robots, because my friend was is 72 and I said to her, she said, oh, you know, there's going to be this robot. I said to her, it's definitely the Da Vinci. And she was very surprised about what's available today in the space. And I think generally speaking, we're probably dealing with quite an uneducated audience um, in terms of what's happening here. I mean, again, uh, that's right. I mean, uh, that's one of my research areas, robotic surgery, medical devices. Eventually, you would like to benefit from technology to deliver uh, outcomes, especially in the area of minimally invasive surgery. You can't, uh, of course, uh, do every surgery, every uh, operation or support through robotic systems, but there are some areas where I think in, in like prosthetic surgery, laparoscopy, like, um, uh, I mean, tele tele-surgery uh, in areas where there is a shortage of surgeons, health support, uh, battlefields, uh, and similar, you can use all these technologies uh, to translate into health. So I don't think um, robots will completely replace the surgeons. And it, it, it's, it's a great opportunity uh, as the technology progresses, as the robots become safer mm. and more cooperative, and interact uh, with their environment, and and there is a there is a scope to widen the applications of areas of uh, robots, robotic systems like Da Vinci, and other systems in surgery and other health services. I definitely think it's a growing field in in robotics, and to our benefit. You know, my friend was saying, and um, I actually spoke to Professor Paul Bannon on this in Sydney as well. You know, your your blood loss and the scar tissue—it's so minimal with this assistive robotics. Yes, indeed. I mean, they do lots of things like suturing, um, camera positioning, supporting, holding tools, doing some standard tasks. Of course, under the supervision of a surgeon making sure that uh, they are fault tolerant, uh, they don't cause any safety issues, their accuracy is important. And as I, as I said, uh, there is a range of uh, surgical operations 
for which robotic systems can be used safely. And, and as you said, there are many examples. And, and, and those systems are also developing, again, in line with those technologies, robotics and mechatronics technologies. And artificial intelligence as well is getting very important for robotic technologies for, for health. So uh, Turkey's loss, our gain in Australia, having you for 18 years at the University of Wollongong. Uh, to our listeners, if they don't know where it is, just give us a snapshot on the map of Australia where you placed. I mean, um, uh, Wollongong is a beautiful city on the Pacific Ocean, 80 kilometers south of Sydney. And the name Wollongong is an Aboriginal name. I think it means somewhere between the water and the mountains. It's a beautiful seaside town and, and it's just population is 300,000 people and it's a multicultural city and, and the university is born out of steel industry, steel making and manufacturing industry and the faculty I'm heading is the oldest faculty of University of Wollongong, which is around 50 years old. So Wollongong is again very close to Sydney in short. <laughs> It's close to Sydney. And how was it affected with COVID? You know, um, I was just recently up in Byron Bay and um, the, the influx of Melbournians and other people into these smaller cities, was Wollongong affected the same way? Uh, not initially, maybe later. Some weekends we had some visitors from Sydney when the weather was nice. And I think we, we handled well. Initially, our number of cases were very low in the state. But later, uh, they stabilized very similar to the number of cases as per uh, population. But we handled well. Uh, well, people are resilient, are robust, and are cooperative. Uh, I think as a city, as a university, we handled well. We tried to look after our staff and students immediately uh, switched online and provided the best possible support for our students and our staff to get, get, to get the best possible experience. And currently we are open and we are online and we are helping our students in, in dual mode. So how big is the, the Faculty of Engineering? Faculty of Engineering is the oldest one. We, our student population is around 6,000 and we have around 550 PhD students and we have around 340 staff, uh, 200 and 60 of them are academic staff, the remaining are, are non-academic staff. And we have six schools, 11 engineering programs, and six of our schools are engineering schools. And the remaining three schools are School of Physics, School of Mathematics and Applied Statistics, and School of Computing and Information Technology. So we have a wonderful combination of six schools. They are very synergistic to teach interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary degrees and programs, as well as undertaking some challenging research in uh, interdisciplinary areas. So we are very lucky that our schools complement each other to create much needed synergy and interdisciplinary research and teaching and learning. A very strong cohort, Gursal. Tell me what's your, um, your gender is like there? We all know that um, in Australia, we the STEM getting females into STEM is a continuing struggle. And, and sometimes even if we get them in, we eventually lose them to the field. Yes, that's a very important issue. We are working on various strategies to increase the number of female students, especially enrolled in our engineering programs. So our um, percentage of our female engineering students is around the nation level, it is 15%. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I think our staff is 19% is female academic staff and uh, 81% is, is, is male. So I think we see the problem is from the school system, how we can, uh, when I say problem, I'm not blaming anybody. What I mean, we do lots of outreach activities targeting year 10, 11, 12 students. It's too late to talk about STEM and importance of engineering and STEM degrees and STEM, STEM knowledge. So as a faculty, as a university, we are going to target senior year primary school kids and early high school ones to, to, to promote uh, STEM degrees, including engineering, physics, mathematics, and making sure that our students get most, info most informed way to decide about what to study. So there is an increasing need for engineering graduates, especially, and especially the, for the female ones. So we will be very happy to increase the numbers and we are working with various stakeholders how we can increase the number of female students and staff. For example, as a faculty, we have an initiative called Equity, Diversity and Inclusion in, Engi in Engineering and Information Sciences. So we are working on a range of strategies, how to encourage, how to keep staff and students, and, and, and also uh, set a wonderful example through our engagement, through our academic staff, to show that there are some wonderful example, female examples in our workforce, in our PhD programs, from, from whom uh, potential students can get some inspiration and some ideas and some support. So that's a national and international problem that number, percentage of female students in engineering program is low, but, but nicely, the percentage of female students in biomedical engineering program is around 50%, which is, yeah. which is very pleasing and very nice. I couldn't agree with you more that I think the target age should be, you know, year 10, 11, 12, they've already, it's, it's too far down their journey. Um, I was reading a paper <clears> that it's, it's probably around year seven where the girls um, get influenced by their cohorts that go into humanities or they decide um, STEM is too difficult or there are too few girls in the STEM class. I think that's wonderful that it's, a, it's an earlier intervention. Yes, indeed. I think it's a national problem. Uh, it's an important one. Uh, we have to promote, we have to show some wonderful examples to our uh, girls and our female students, potential students, then there's a career, there's a future. And I can tell you that uh, our female students do wonderfully once they are in our engineering programs. They are, they are the best ones, very responsible and, and, and very hardworking, very dedicated. And they, they make some wonderful engineers and scientists. Yeah, we, we, we're normally logical. I'm going to cop some flack for this. <laughs> I know that, but I think we're normally, we're normally logical. Gursa, what's your opinion on robotics and AI in Australia? I mean... It's a very good one. I mean, robotics, I mean, in robotics, we have lots of pockets of excellence. Although we are a small country, and when there is an opportunity to demonstrate what we can achieve, we do wonderfully. If I can give a couple of examples, for example, last year, a team from CSRO Data 61 participated in a DARPA competition, and they came second in the world. Uh, in this subterranean uh, manipulation, I, I don't, I don't have the details, but they came second. That's a wonderful example of if we set the target, if we want to design and build a nation to develop robotic technologies, yes, we can. Another wonderful example is 
I think it was Amazon Robotics Competition. A team from Queensland University of Technology participated in 2017, and they came first in handling various odd objects. And lastly, perhaps uh, the team we led from University of Wollongong, we, we are very strong in soft robotics at uh, 2018 International Conference in Robotics on Robotics and Automation in Brisbane. There was a challenge, uh, soft robotic gripping challenge, and our team came number one, although the number of participants wasn't high, but, but the performance our robotic system demonstrated was amazing. So if you also look at uh, some uh, pockets of excellence in artificial intelligence, I think we came, uh, I think I read just somewhere, maybe I'll just check it. Um, uh, we came, if I can just read it uh, from Stanford Global AI Vibrancy Index, Australia came eight in the world. And also uh, in terms of technology, AI readiness as well, we, we rank 11 in the world. So Australia is, is, is doing well as per its, its opportunities. For example, government is investing in cybersecurity heavily, which is great. We are not saying it shouldn't be. But when it comes to invest, investment in developing technologies, robotic technologies, looks like that's put in back burner. And in a way, our role looks like we are the technology users when it comes to robotics. But as I said, in those three examples, when there is an opportunity, we have the capability and we have the, the expertise and we have the confidence, we have the, 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 the workforce the expertise of all these wonderful universities to, to achieve, to develop some robotic technologies. I mean, many years ago, for example, James Trevelyan from University of Western Australia, when I was doing my PhD, he developed a sheep shearing robot, very special to Australia. And I watched the video at that time. It was slow, but it was working. The concept was demonstrated. So all these expertise show that Australia has a wonderful capacity, capability and expertise in AI and in robotics. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. Gosal, I think when your episode is probably going to be episode 96 that I'm going to be releasing and um, I've spoken to a lot of people, this is what this whole podcast is about, our capability in Australia and we don't stand back for anyone in the world. We've got very smart people working in the industry. Yes, indeed. I mean, as you know, robotics is an applied area mm. and we can, if the problem is described as the examples I gave you, and, and that demonstrate that, yes, we can achieve. Yes, we can deliver. Yes, we are in the far end of the world. Our maybe domestic market is not high, but as a nation, we have to invest in this technology development and increase the cooperation, collaboration, and, 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 and eliminate silos. We have the capabilities in many universities. We have to put our strengths to create the synergy to develop such technology. And the expertise you gain from this one can be applied to developing other technologies, manufacturing, advanced manufacturing. As you know, COVID-19 taught us to be a sovereign nation to have your own technology, especially in manufacturing engineering. So you have to go back, go back to basics when the things are not looking good. So that's a great opportunity to relook at what are our priorities and, and tap this, this expertise in developing national technologies like robotic technologies, which will have lots of benefits for many industries for, for the whole population. 
Definitely. And I think there's definitely a more awareness, certainly in Australia, about what, as you mentioned, our sovereign capabilities, that you don't want to be in a crisis and have to rely on potentially hostile nations that you need to get help from. Yes, indeed. I'm also it's great for your workforce, for your training, for the expertise. And, and uh, of course, still, uh, uh, we should collaborate, cooperate with our uh, international partners. All this will happen. But at the end of the day, uh, we have that capability to come to the table to deliver more significant outcomes and progress. So talk to me about your role as dean. Do you still teach students or are you like, what does a dean do? Take me through a typical day. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, I'm the executive dean, meaning that we have those six schools and each of schools is like a small faculty. And I was head of one of them until September last year. So uh, I still run a research group. It's called uh, Applied Mechatronics and Biomedical Engineering Research Group uh, with acronym AMBA. And still I have a number of PhD students. And uh, also I have a ARC Discovery Grants uh, and applied for a patent. I got a number of PhD students mentoring my junior colleagues, uh, encouraging them to apply for some big grants. And, and I'm still, uh, I'm leading by, I'm trying to lead by example. I'm not doing much teaching, although I promise I will, uh, I would uh, this session, then it, it happened that that was not possible because of uh, other traffic, uh, other duties. So I have to set a good example uh, to lead the faculty to deliver against its key performance indicators in teaching and learning, as well as research and scholarly activities, which are our core business. As you know, as an academic unit, whatever you do, you have two aspects. One is academic aspects. You have to deliver those aspects to contribute to the knowledge base if it comes to research, for example. But at the same time, it has to have a engagement society uh, uh, benefits. Uh, for example, take teaching and learning. Our graduates should be employable. I can proudly say that all our graduates are 100% employed. For example, if you look at 2021 quality in teaching and learning for employee satisfaction, University of Wollongong graduates came number one in Australia. And if you dig down the data, the, the students from my faculty, Faculty of Engineering and Information Sciences, also came number one in Australia when it came to employee satisfaction. So University of Wollongong Faculty of Engineering and Information Sciences has a wonderful reputation working with local industry, co-designing the curriculum and solving some domestic and international research challenges. Congratulations. So as a faculty, uh, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm a bottom-up, if I call it bottom-up leader. Uh, that's my advantage. I can easily connect with my colleagues, understand their feelings, understand their reactions, and do my best to, to solve their problem, to move forward altogether. You know, whether you're working on academics or you're in a commercial entity, it's all about your people. That's right. I mean, people are our biggest asset. Yeah. And you have to be... Uh, you know, open to them, you have to be supportive, you have to be transparent, and equally importantly, make sure that you treat them as if somebody should treat you, you know, as I came from the same ladder, and I should be very, very, very supportive and be open and make sure that um, we, we, we move together, forward together. So uh, I'm very excited to do that. It takes time. Uh, it's, I mean, especially 
with my current commitments, having uh, such a large group, uh, research group, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to give up. I'm trying to dedicate at least one day a week to do research, to meet, what, meet my colleagues and students. It's a, it's a fantastic philosophy, you know, and I look at you as an educator and I can't help but be inspired, you know, like you've got these, these kids, young people, um, you can shape them and form them into all sorts of directions. You literally hold their future in your hands. It must be, it must be a great feeling to do this. And especially if they come back and say, thank you, like it's been all your hard work and look what I've ended up. Indeed. I mean, that's one of our biggest satisfaction to see that you make a big difference in the life and, and career of some, some, some students, some kids, you know, and, and helping them to realize their dreams. And, and they, it's just a different milestone in their life. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity for us to help them, to, to make them ready for life, for job, and, and they can have the best possible experience to have a very good memory about us. Sometimes I get some Christmas cards or bump into some of our graduates with some nice words. And, and that, that, that satisfaction is priceless. And I think that's why perhaps I stayed in, in academia. I tried, to, uh, I, I stayed as, as an academic because when I was in high school, I wanted to be a medical doctor, but luckily I didn't do well in the entrance exam. And I entered my second choice, and then um, I'm an academic. I, I'm very happy with that. I was about to say, would you have done anything different in your life? I mean, in terms of a profession, I wouldn't. I think somehow it's very interesting. I can share more about this one. Uh, you need to open to opportunities. I mean, how I ended up doing PhD was a kind of the conditions directed me to do that. Initially, I wanted to be a very good engineer very good mechanical engineer and that was my goal but until I got a scholarship Fulbright scholarship to go to US to do masters and during this time I had the opportunity of doing tutoring guest lecturing and supporting my professor and I had a very good taste of and thanks to my professor who who mentored me and gave me the opportunity to send me to the classroom to do those teaching and learning tasks and that inspired me to choose that one as my as my career but in terms of um, other things, and as I said, I did lots of uh, leadership work. I could have done maybe less of them, uh, although you have to take responsibility. For example, when I was asked to be head of an engineering school, and they told me that, please do it for two years, and then you, you can resign. But I did it for 10 and a half years somehow. But I was still teaching. I was still applying for grants, graduating PhD students, applying for for projects, going to international conferences, all this. It was, I think we have to set wonderful, a good example to lead by example, because it's, it's a big responsibility. If, you, if, if they're asking you to do, if you don't take it, then you don't have the right to complain or to say something. So I thought, I took the responsibility, maybe a bit less could have been better. Um, I mean, another thing I could have been, been doing dif uh, differently could have been a bit braver to make some career moves, uh, like being less conservative. I always, you know, see an academic career like a tree. You are, you are growing into a big tree. Once you become more senior, your roots go down. And if somebody wants to move you from one location to another, they have to carry you with your whole big root, root system, which, which is 
not good for the tree either. So I was a bit uh, conservative in that thinking too much when I had some offers, some opportunities to move to other universities. I mean, that could have been something maybe uh, I could have done it. I mean, another thing is about maybe partnership, maybe working more with industry, although I tried. Uh, but until you become more senior, you you don't pay much attention to translational research and applied research, although the conditions determine. I mean, if you got a grant from industry, um, from end users, you have to deliver those ones. But when you are climbing up your academic ladder, you focus on publications, fundamental research, training PhD students, applying for grants. And, and you, you, you finalize one grant, you know there is a potential to be applied to an application and you leave it there and move to the next grant. I'm now not making that mistake. Currently, we are working on three patentable ideas and working with some companies, how we can take what we have achieved to take from the value of death into the application. It's going slowly, but I believe it will make much bigger impact and, and deliver bigger outcomes for everybody. So that's that will be things I can look back and think about it that I could have done them a bit differently, uh, but I'm very happy with what I have achieved so far. I think uh, from your very good results, I think the University of Wollongong is very, very happy you did you decided exactly what you did and you stayed where you were. Uh, thank you very much. I mean, it's a wonderful university uh, and they looked after me. Of course, there were some ups and downs, as you expect. Yeah. Nothing is smooth, uh, especially with our new vice chancellor. She She came to our university Last year from, from US, she's, she's Australian, she's uh, alumni of University of Wollongong. She brought some new energy, new passion, new way of doing business and putting more value on academic, uh, uh, you know, academics who, who come from bottom up to lead their unit. So we are very positive that we will go through some of our current challenges and make sure that this institution and other institutions, I mean, especially our institution, they'll, they'll survive and do better. And we are doing very well as per our location, our opportunities. For example, when I came to Wollongong in 2004, it was a teaching dominant university. And now, especially my faculty engineering is 83rd in the world. We are number six in Australia. And our university is 100, uh, I think 83 in the world, if you look at one of those recent, recent rankings. So these are wonderful outcomes as per our opportunities. But we are positive that we will go beyond this one and, and be a truly comprehensive university, which we are. And we also have some wonderful global existence in Hong Kong, in Dubai, in Malaysia, in Singapore and many, many other parts of the world. Well, look, I think it's in no small part uh, your success is due to your hard work, so congratulations. Is there any closing thoughts you would like to leave the audience with? Well, especially I would like to uh, say a few words to our potential students, and especially, for example, when I meet uh, with our uh, potential students, for example, uh, last uh, 10 days ago we had our open day, and I tell them there is no perfect profession, perfect degree, especially the current generation. I have two kids. They want to select something with which they want to be happy all the time. I tell them that's not possible. You need to listen to your heart and mind and have passion 
and uh, and dedication and like it, love it, and that will create lots of energy, lots of drive to take it to the next level. Another thing is about adaptability. I believe we people have to be adaptable. As Charles Darwin said, you know, not the strongest species, but the adaptable species survive. So that's another thing our students should think about adaptation, about some essential skills, not only academic skills to survive, because no university in the world can teach you skills which are valid for the next 30, 40 years. You have to learn how to learn. You have to be, um, you have to take initiative. You have to have wonderful communication skills, interpersonal skills, social skills, soft skills, emotional intelligence. You have to be all rounder to survive. Another thing is nothing comes easily. I mean, again, uh, I like all these things um, that, uh, you know, as I think I like this saying, maybe I'll finish with this one. As Franklin Roosevelt Roosevelt said, uh, a calm sea never made a skillful sailor. So uh, the great things come with some difficulty, uh, with some some hard times and dedication. So it's all about liking and, and enjoying and, and then find your own energy and motivation to enjoy and do your best. That's a wonderful word. You know, I think if I think of hardship and, you know, you're not born with resilience, it's a muscle that's exercised, you know, and as things come and you practice this muscle, you you extend it and you flex it and then you become resilient to life's challenges because everyone has challenges thrown at them. Yes, indeed. I mean, again, without challenge, it's like, I mean, these are the spices of life, you know, without I mean, I don't know, not everybody maybe likes spices. I mean, <laughs> a meal without spices. <laughs> you know, I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, again, is these are the spices. You have to be, you have to understand that if you are going through some tough times, difficult times, you know, it's quite normal and it will pass. You have to stay calm and, and, and the, the, the storm will pass if there is a storm you are dealing with. I love this. This too will pass. Gusal, where can they reach you? Um, um, Of course, everything is now online. My email, and I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm at University of Wollongong. I'm sure with a simple search, they can access me. I will be very delighted to meet our potential students, our collaborators, and anybody, especially if you can do something, especially around these robotics, robotics technologies. We have lots of wonderful expertise. As I said, uh, the research group I'm leading is strong in soft robotics, which is the extension of robotics technologies. I think we can we can put all this together. And, and, and again, uh, we will be working with our students, with our partners. Thank you so much for um, spending time with me today. It's been really, really a pleasure and an honor speaking with you. And uh, to our audience, thank you very much for joining me uh, for another episode. And I look forward to your company next week. Thank you, Gersal. Thank you, Nikki, for having me. I truly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.